Embrace every mess, give yourself some grace To relax, then chill with this If you wanna laugh, then chill with this Embrace every mess, give yourself some grace Need something to think about, just kick this out Put on your head, but so chill with this Embracing every mess with Darius Phelps and Sir Princeton Harden guys, I'm one of your co-hosts, Darius Phelps. Welcome back to Embracing Every Mess. Hi, my name is Sir Preston Harden, and with us today, we have George Valenzuela. Everybody, let's welcome George. Hey, everyone. Hey, man, how are you? Thanks again for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Um, I'm glad we can make it happen. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time coming, so we kind of just like, for our guests, kind of just really introduce themselves, so to speak, so just give a little bit, you know, about yourself and let it go. Yeah, sure. So I have 16 years of experience as both a classroom and online teacher, as a district administrator, and now as an education coach, author, and advocate. And in my current context, I'm an online teacher at Old Dominion University in Virginia. Big shout out to BA. <laughs> I'm the lead coach at Lifelong Learning Defined. And in that role, I travel all over our country to coach educators at all levels in STEM, in computer science, PBL, robotics, restorative practices, emotional intelligence, social emotional learning, and lesson planning. And for this purpose, I have been to over 25 states and over 70 cities in our country. And now I coach virtually. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting right there. How has, that, how has that shift affected you throughout this whole COVID situation? Well, actually, um, well, I was always an online teacher, but... Yeah. When you're working with clients, it's very different. You know, they don't want a Zoom and a PowerPoint. Right. You know, they need to be engaged and they need to see how teaching is modeled. And so, you know, I can do that in the workshop um, using evidence-based instructional strategies. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, online is different. I had to learn all of that. You know, I had to learn... Um, a couple of new tools and I had to practice. Um, there's a quote by um, Tony Robbins where he says, repetition is the mother of skill. Okay. And so I can attest to that, that, you know, practice will make you better and better. And so I've gotten that skill over the pandemic. So that's really interesting because um, that's how teaching is essentially, you know, we were used to teaching classes and being, being right there in our students' faces, and then all of a sudden, we have to create that same magic over these little magic boxes that we call right. and televisions. And it's become it's very difficult because the majority of that connection with teaching is that physical, that being around each other's spirits, and you know, just feeding off of each other. So right. yeah, it's it's a big adjustment. It's been a big adjustment. So what was the thing that you had to admit to yourself george i'm not good at this let me do better because <laughs> with me it was green screening you know i really wanted to be good at green screening but i suck at it <laughs> just absolutely horrible for you what was it well so i think i'm really good at connecting with people emotionally i think that um you know i'm very kind-hearted and anyone that you know, gives me a chance, um, they can pick up on that. 
And so I already had that, that um, trust and equity already built in with, um, you know, those who I coach. And so for me, what my learning was how to make the presentation part of my workshop engaging and interactive for them. And so I had to learn a new program called Nearpod. Mm. Nearpod is a student engagement platform where you can basically upload your PowerPoint slides, which is what I use in my workshops. And you can upload them into Nearpod, but you can you know, change a few of those and make them interactive. And so I didn't know how to do that. The first time I heard of Nearpod, there was a young lady that works out in Kansas and she's a teacher and she's a coach. And she sent me an Nearpod and she said, hey man, I put your book on my Nearpod. And so I looked at it and it was great, but I didn't really understand what the platform was. And so, you know, I'm very busy, so I can only tackle one thing at a time. Yeah. And there's some teachers that I'm coaching um, at a school, at a STEM school, and these were science teachers, and they were using Nearpod, and they told me about it, but I didn't really understand it. Well, when I figured out that this would be the way to engage those in, in my workshops, I reached out to a young lady named Michelle Moore, and you can follow her on Twitter, at, at Michelle4EDU, and she's a coach for Nearpod. And so I hired her to coach me on three different hour-long um, sessions. And so every time that she would give me information, I would work on it on my own, and then I would get back with her. And she would model, and she would coach, and she would mentor me. And so me being a coach, you know, I've realized that there are certain things I can learn on my own, but there are certain things I would need help with. And so that was one of those things. Yeah, I love Nearpod, especially the matching feature, uh, oh, you know, yeah. the matching cards. And I love how you can integrate different uh, modes so your students mm -hmm. can do it individually uh, at their right. own pace. Or, you know, I like to have control sometimes. So I like saying, nope, you're, going, you're doing the same slide that I'm doing. So Nearpod is it's a great feature. What made you decide to really kind of just be your own boss going to being an entrepreneur? Well, honestly, it wasn't planned out. Um, I was a curriculum specialist in Richmond, Virginia for nine years. And so I want to say around the fourth year, um, I realized that in order to be an instructional leader, you have to be able to model for your teachers how to plan lessons and how to teach them. And when I realized that I was not doing a good job of that, I, I joined an organization called Buck Institute for Education, which is now known as PBL Works. And I basically learned how to become a really good PBL teacher, you know, project-based learning. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that, you know, first it was for my teachers. I was responsible for about 40 of them. And I would do um, summer workshops, you know, nationally or whenever I had time. And it was one of those things that I became good at um, over time, not right away. And once I really developed a skill set where I realized that through my workshops and through my writing, I was able to make a, I was able 
to make a bigger impact, I realized that it was time now for me to be my own boss. And I just want to say that you're not always your own boss. When you have a contract with someone, they are your boss. And so, yes, you agree to work with them or not, but when you sign a contract, you are responsible to whoever came. And so I have a lot of bosses, actually. Yeah, people who work for folks, you do have a lot of bosses, a lot of people that you have to um, keep their attention and keep their interest. So, but that leads me into this new year mm -hmm. that we are about to go into. How would you help teachers prepare for what could be one of the um, most interesting hybrids of digital and physical learning that we're going to have to, to teeter-totter around? Yeah, well, over the pandemic, I actually, not the first month, but after the first month, I had work every day. I was coaching teachers every day. And so um, it's really blending your instructional model with a mix of face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. but also remote learning, but also in tandem with social emotional learning. Right. You see, our kids right now, you know, are facing, you know, a variety or a host of issues that, you know, impact how they respond emotionally, how they feel, and how they learn. And so what we're doing is, is helping educators plan for the academics, but also plan for social emotional learning. And so, um, you know, I don't think it's fair for someone to say that they're the SEL expert if they just started talking about this, right? And so I'm an educator that has focused primarily on PBL, on STEM, on computer science, but I was trained in racial equity and equity and SEL through the organizations that I worked for. And it was a personal project, but not necessarily something that I wrote about or that I did until now. And so um, what I do is I help educators understand that if we're talking about equity, right? According to the Center for Public Education, educational equity is only achieved when all students receive what they need in order to be successful. Right. And so right now is social emotional learning, is understanding how they're showing up emotionally, mm -hmm. right, right, themselves in regards to remote learning, to what's happening at home, to what's happening on the news, but also how they're responding socially to the emotions of others and how they impact others if that makes sense. So if we're really serious about that, then there's a lot of learning that we have to do as teachers. And so what I do is, is basically help educators unpack what the five competencies are according to, to the collaborative for academic and social emotional learning, which is CASEL. And so they've identified five competencies, self-awareness, which ties into self-management, social awareness, which ties into relationships, and then there's um, um, decision-making. And so by helping them identify these, these five basic things and learn some skills and some strategies that they can put in place for their kids. 
and then realize that there's a, you know, there is bigger work to do. Like right now, um, you have to be um, trauma-informed, um, a culturally responsive from teacher, know how to do restorative um, justice. And so there's certain language and research that you need to understand because if you don't, you can cause more harm than, than actual good. And so I think that's the, that's the one part I feel like teachers are nervous about, right? There's so much that they are, it's so much bigger than how it used to be, right? So kids used to cry, you know, teachers used to handle that a little bit differently. But now it's like, if a, a student shows a moment of weakness, you really have to start to dig deep with that student to figure out what's the root of this issue. Um, there was a, a video of a kid playing basketball. He was playing basketball in his uh, driveway. He was at home. Right. And there was a white Jeep that probably belonged to his father sitting there in the parking lot or in the That's driveway. And he's, he's playing basketball, but he spots a cop car coming down the road. He stops, he hides behind the car, and he waits for the cops to roll past. Right. So, so that's what I'm talking about right there. So right there, if you're looking at that, but you don't really understand what is happening. Well, you understand what's happening, but you don't know how to empathize with that situation because you don't have to live through that. So that is basically understanding the structural racism mm -hmm. and the trauma that it causes. And so I can't say I understand that even if I'm a person of color or if, or if I empathize with it. You have to learn and read books from the scholars that have already been doing this research. And so you have to find the right language, the right research and the right strategies. And so my job is to help educators understand that and then look at the right stuff, if that makes sense. And so right now, there's a book I'm reading, um, it's how to be anti-racist. Okay. And so when I read the book, you know, by um, Dr. Kendi, I realized that, yeah, I had a lot of these ideas. Like I understood that policy would have to change in order for, um, you know, as a first step, but I didn't have any of that language or any of that data. And so I think as a teacher, we have to be informed about that if we really want to do equity. And we want to use SEL as a way to help our kids with the traumas and with the, the things that have been holding them back. And that's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting watch to see how schools roll these out because yeah. it has, it's necessary PD that needs to be had. Um, mm -hmm. We need to understand the different, the lingo or the different vernacular that's happening inside that's really important right now that a lot of people don't know how to utilize. Also with, when it comes to uh, LGBTQ plus you know, gender IA. identifying. Don't forget IA, brother. <laughs> so it's like, there is a lot that needs to be done. My interest is to see how do we interact with those teachers that are hesitant to do it for one reason of either just they don't want to change to the know how you know how teachers are. Oh, we have to go to another professional development, especially if it's after school. They're already shut down. They don't want to listen to 
to any of it. So how do you find ways to make these professional developments to where they're not gaffed off? That's a military term. I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. else uses that's gaff. Um, that, you know, people can take seriously and they really want to dive into if, let's say, they had worked a full day. Well, I think it's important to to not make people... So, all right, so <laughs> some people are very angry and, you know, rightly so. Um, and, you know, I'll be the first to say that if you weren't outraged by the murder of George Floyd or, you know, of any person, you know, whether of color or not, you know, then there's something wrong there. Right. All right. But so there's a time and place for rage and for anger. But also I'm of the belief that you can't do your best work when you're angry. Mm -hmm. You have to be at peace, emotionally, mentally, and focus. And so I draw a lot of inspiration from Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. And actually, um, way before that, back in 2017, I realized that when I would get into my workshops, I wasn't very confident. I would do a good job, but internally, I would really suffer. I didn't know how to make all the butterflies fly in the same direction. And so I got this book called Relentless by Tim Grover. And Tim, he was in The Last Dance. He was one of the speakers. He's also the author of the book and he was Michael Jordan's mental and physical coach. And so he describes Michael's preparation for his games. And so that really struck me that if an NBA game is 43 minutes, if you've rehearsed 45 minutes times 15 times before the game, there's nothing you haven't already seen. You're way more than ready. You're actually more prepared than everyone there. And so I took that same, that same um, mindset and work ethic and brought that into my writing and into my workshops. And so that, not right away, but eventually it took away all of the nervousness and it made me calm. And it put me into a space where I can essentially coach people in the way that they needed to be coached. See, it's not enough to do unto others how you want done to yourself. I believe the highest level is to treat them the way that they need to be treated. And so the thing that I've seen is that, you know, as educators, when you're leading in with some form of identity, there's always going to be a person that is gonna challenge you. And so the thing that I think we can all agree on is that our kids need our help and that we're there to help them. And so by having educators focus on the learner profile of the type of kid they actually have in front of them and identifying what the needs are and helping them realize, oh, in order for me to help my kids the way they really need to be helped, then that means I have to change first. See, our teaching should never be about us. It should be about our children and about improving our country. But it needs to start with us and becoming the educator that they need. Right, and it makes it much easier when you understand 
what your kids are going through or you seek out help um, by talking with people. Conversations are great ways to truly understand what people are going through because people oftentimes tell you, I think people just before this whole George Floyd, they didn't believe it. They, for years we have said Colin Kaepernick was not trying to disgrace the flag. I mean, that, that was the only thing that we kept, it has nothing to do with the flag. It has nothing to do with the flag. They never, they just, you know, that was it. Um, now think- they're like, oh, when he kneeled, it had nothing to do with the flag. It's like, we, we told you that years ago. So teachers really need to, you know, figure out how to understand and listen to those stories so they can, they get it. How, how it impacts them. And mm-hmm. so as teachers, we are the first responders and the front lines in dealing with the kids. And so when we understand why they have certain needs based on certain disadvantages, certain traumas, and how it impacts us, you know, then we need to work on it. And so I believe that, you know, the murder of George Floyd, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it really had the impact the way that all the cities being torn apart did. And when people realize I can't get my Starbucks, I can't go to my store, I can't do this and that because I turned a blind eye to oppression and murder and racism. Right. Breonna Taylor's another one. You know, they yeah. still haven't passed a, a law. Uh, they made a law, but they still haven't arrested the officers that it's were crazy stuff. right. Rayshard Brooks, that his <sighs> death is still a debate for a lot of people. And it it's Did you watch the video? It should like be that led up to it. Say it one time. Did you watch what led up to that? Yeah, watch the, the whole conversation. Thing. And and the thing is, it's so obvious that there was no intent to get him home safely. No. There was no intent for that. It was just to fill a quota and to get a DUI ticket. Right. I mean, but just yeah, no, they turned him around. They never asked him. They didn't say, they said, we're going to arrest you. Uh, they just started turning him around. There was no, okay, we're going to arrest you. There were no rights being read. There was no, can you please turn around? They tried to, at that point, it looks like they got tired of the situation. They're like, okay, well, we're just taking you to jail now. Turn around. And when they yanked on him or tried to force him around, then that's when everything went downhill. So it, there was, like you said, there was, they could have de-escalated that from the jump jump from the very beginning but once again the silence that people have and trying to ignore it it's not going to be i can tell from this moment i do not think there will ever be another killing without there being some kind of i'm sorry some type of consequence whether it's something gets looted whether something gets burned um whether we petition or everyone blacks out another screen or we stop uh, buying something from Starbucks for a day or we stop you know, buying things from, I think they always say Target, Target for a day. But if the longer it takes, I see the black community and I see people that are allies with the Black Lives Matter. I see everyone trying to slowly get on the same page. We're slowly trying to tell each other, okay, stop arguing with each other over the little stuff. 
you already know that there are going to be riots else um, that are probably not even black people that started. There's probably going to be some looting that black people probably won't even start. But there has to be a consistent message going out. We are not going to. We're not going to take it. No, <laughs> we ain't going to take it. You know, black lives matter. You know, yeah, that has to um, resonate because when it came out, I started thinking about, well, how do I treat the Hispanic and Latino students in my classrooms? Like, how many books do I present them with that reflect them? So it gave me a chance to receive, okay, well, yay, Black Lives Matter, but now that we have that moving, what about the, what about my Hispanic brothers and sisters that don't see themselves reflected either? You know, we only see the whites. Well, well, I think that right now, what we have to understand is this, you know, and this is just all opinion based, you know, mm -hmm. so anyone listening, um, if I made a mistake, um, it's coming from the heart and, and from a good place and from stuff that I've been reading and I've been learning because I'm learning too. But what I've seen is that systemic racism um, and the structures in place that are designed to hold people down, I believe that they've impacted you know, people of color, whether you're Latino, African-American, if you're you know, from, from Africa, if you're from you know, the Middle East. But the brutality and the murder that we've seen has affected African-Americans primarily, I would say. And so when we say Black Lives Matter right now, I think that's where the focus has to be, where policy needs to be put in place where it's not okay to murder an African-American. But the thing that I got from this is that this is a human rights issue, right? I wouldn't necessarily, so people have tried to make it as a political issue, but I don't think that, you know, I don't see it that way. And so I think that for right now, our focus needs to be on black lives. But I think that wherever there's a human rights violation or something is wrong or a population needs to be represented, I think we have to speak up no matter who it is. Right. You know, and I will give you an example. Um, so as we all know that, um, I'm trying to word this as, you know, as best as possible. Um, I walked into a school, I was observing a teacher right before, you know, we were all sent home. And so my eyes are, you know, slanted. And so one of the kids said, look at this Chinese man, watch out, there's the, um, the um, um, coronavirus. And so I didn't take it personally, but I looked at him and I said, that wasn't very nice. And so luckily all of his classmates agreed and you know, he apologized. But think of the Chinese Americans or the Asians who've been beat down in New York and have been targeted racially because of that. Yep. And so I think we need to learn from this situation, from what's happening to African-Americans. And now all of a sudden everyone wants to ally with African-Americans. We need to do that wherever human rights are being violated. Because if we don't, eventually it'll come back to us. I heard a quote, I'm not sure if it was a quote or a saying, that 
the boy that is not feeling like he's part of the village will eventually burn it down. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's important that we take care of everyone. But right now, our focus needs to be on Black lives. Very true. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, love that, love that, love that. Well, George, we are so glad to have had you with us today. Can I, um, wait, I just want to um, I'll give a couple of shout outs if, if that's okay. Oh, go for it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, go ahead. You know, Michelle Moore, obviously, for you know, getting me straight. Um, um, Chris Hanks, Andre Doughty, um, Chris Woods, um, Charity Parsons, Moran, uh, um, um, Talena Norfor. Um, these are educators that have taught me a lot at this time, have pointed me in the direction of the right books, of the right resources. And so I'm learning as I go along. And I hope that every educator just does their part, whatever that is. But it's always about the lessons we plan and then how we teach them. Yeah, I could have said it better myself. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you guys again next week.